0: Welcome back to Studio 96 West. Today on the Evangelist Pilgrim Mission Podcast with Evangelist Mackey, we will be going over the topic of John Wesley, just who was the founder of the Methodist Church. I, Evangelist Mackey, truly hope that each and every one of you has had a wonderful and peaceful week on your journey with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, as we dive into this week's message today, Be in our presence and help guide someone's heart, Lord, back to you. For there is someone out there, Lord, that is in desperate need to feel your love today. John Wesley, just who was the founder of the Methodist Church? The man who took a small group of theology students in groups of 11 with one Bible study teacher and grew his small holy club to the huge Christian denomination it is today. Well, for starters, this man that was the method behind the Methodism to the founder of the Methodist Church is none other than John Wesley. John Wesley was born on June 17, 1703. Into a strong, angelical home, his father, Samuel, was a priest His mother, Susan, taught religion and morals and faithful to her 19 children. Wesley went to Carter House in London for six years before he entered Oxford in 1720. Oxford proved to turn Wesley into the fine scholar where he would graduate in 1724. Wesley would go on to become soon ordained into the angelic ministry, and in 1725, he was made a deacon by the Bishop of Oxford. In 1726, John Wesley would go on to be chosen to a fellowship at Lincoln College. After assisting his father at Epworth and Root, he would go on to be ordained a priest, On September 22, 1728, Wesley would join a society founded by his brother Charles, whose members would took a vow to lead holy lives, take communion once a week, pray daily, and visit prisons regularly. In addition, they spent three hours every afternoon studying the Bible and other devotional material. The club that John Wesley had joined was mocked by fellow students as the Holy Club. The Holy Club was known for their frequent communion services and for fasting two days a week. In a research paper called The Pursuing Christian Love According to Theology of John Wesley in 2017, written by Michael Boulder Jr., he goes on to a copy a passage to start the paper. And this passage comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verse 30 through 31 in the New King James Bible. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these, said Jesus, in this. In these words, Jesus, the only believed to be God in flesh as man, sums up the greatest commandment for all mankind. As we explore the method of how the love for Jesus is this love that serves as the goal for John Wesley's ministry and theology, Wesley fruitfully, morally, and kind of actions are never a reflection of human merit, but are always an expression of God's gift. The love that was rooted in our Christian faith, shows power and rigor. This love is imaged of God and mark of holiness that John Wesley lived every day in his Christian lifestyle. Greater levels of such love are pursued only by and with the empowering presence of the Spirit, made possible by Christian life, death, and resurrection. Exploring Wesley's understanding and method of study of how to pursue the highest form of Christian love will be the focus of the project. John Wesley acknowledges much mystery and uncertainty in his Christian life. He believes that it is important to respond to what can be known. For Wesley, what we know and learn through daily study helps us clarify the roadmap of Christian life as much as possible. It was very important to Wesley because the purpose of the roadmap is to give another follower of Christ a clear view of how to live a Christian lifestyle and what to expect in the future regarding spiritual development. The Christian life itself, involves an array of actions and passions, expressions, and so to confess active and passive results in a blurry of Wesley's guide for a living. It was in England around the 17th century when several people sought to express their devotion to God by creating and taking part in religious societies. As we know, the people were slowly starting to leave the Church of England, which some such societies were supported and sponsored by the Church of England. The purpose of the societies was to promote real holiness of the heart in life. The emphasis of the holiness heart found in these religious societies was very similar to the concern for heart theology. As for the colleges of Putney in Germany that arose in the 17th century even earlier than the English religious societies of the same century. There indeed was no surprise that John Wesley makes loving God and one's neighbor the greatest goal in religious history. These are the greatest commandments in Scripture, as shown in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, John Wesley would even go on by saying, Where this is, there are virtue and happiness going hand in hand. John Wesley believed that there was indeed the highest goal of Christian living. This highest goal is the loving of God and the neighbor at the maximum level. Also describing this love as Christian perfection, such love can never be any but basis of happiness. Perfection in John Wesley's eyes often does not come accordingly to a person's schedule, but sometimes a person must pursue the whole highest goal for many months and years before reaching it, seemingly taking a lifetime to even recognize it. Wesley believed that person's love of God and neighbor will continue to grow throughout eternity, with always more room for growth in love. Wesley said that during life on earth, pursuing or maintaining the highest goal involves practicing the means of grace, such as prayer, attending worship, being involved in weekly class meetings, taking the Lord's Supper, reading the scriptures, and serving those in need. I believe that the very viewpoint of John Wesley was trying to get across was a strong practical theology that has a main goal, is also clear in the secondary literature. In an article written by Santa Maraca in 2017 titled The Role of Christianity and Islam in Slavery A Wesley Interpretation You can always tell by John Wesley's Views of God's Commandments of keeping the loving of God and neighbor that Wesley would indeed be against slavery, in all shapes and forms known to mankind. The very people that walked the earth with Jesus Christ endured slavery, repeatedly throughout the rise and fall and the re-rise of Israel, the promised land to Abraham. The slavery is said, To rise from captivity in war, slavery may begin, by one man selling to another, And it is true, a man may sell himself to work for another, but cannot sell himself to be a slavery. Thirdly, that man may be born slaves by being the children of a slave. During all of this growth of the new but yet to be formed Methodist denomination, Another formed Holy Club member, George Whitefield, was having a remarkable success as a preacher in the industrial city of Bristol. Whitehead or Whitefield was winning over hundreds of working-class poor, oppressed by the industrial England, and in, and neglected by the church. He was experiencing an emotional conversion. Under his fiery preaching, there were so many who were responding that Whitefield desperately needed help. And John Wesley would go on to accept Whitefield's plea hesitantly. He distrusted Whitefield's dramatic style. He questioned the priority of Whitefield's outdoor preaching as too radical for the day and age, that he felt uncomfortable with the emotional reaction. Even his preaching ex- ex- excelled. Wesley would soon warm up to the new method of ministry. With John Wesley's organizing skills, he would quickly become the new leader of the movement. But Whitefield was a firm Calvinist, while Wesley could not swallow the doctrine of the Presbyterians. Furthermore, Wesley argued against the Reformed doctrine that Christians could enjoy entire sanctification in this life. Wesley stayed true to his heart in loving God and thy neighbor, meekness and lowliness of heart, absently from all appearance of evil, and doing all for the glory of God. Sadly in the very end, the two preachers would part ways due to their difference in belief. Although John Wesley did not intend to start a new denomination, historical circumstances and his very own organizational genius conspired against himself. and the desire to remain in the Church of England. John Wesley's followers first met in private homes, societies, much like starting a church plant in the new city today. You go to a town as a minister of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and you locate those who are looking to start a small Bible study. Just like in the day of John Wesley, These societies became too large for members to care for one another. Wesley organized classes, each with 11 members and a leader. These are the same practices of many Christian denominations still to this day. These Bible studies classes met weekly to pray, read the Bible, discuss their spiritual lives, and collect money for charity. Nowadays people do not meet separately, but anyone can become a class leader. The moral and the spiritual atmosphere of the meeting is expressed in one of John Wesley's most famous operas. operas. Do all good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as ever you can. The movement from just an old model. Of a once holy club. To a new bible study of 11. And one teacher grew rapidly. As it critics who called Wesley and his followers. Methodists. A label they would proudly. They wore proudly. It only gotten worse than the name-calling at times. Methodists were often met with violence by paid ruffians who broke up meetings and threatened Wesley's life. Soon a few angelical priests, such as his hymn-writing brother, Charles, joined these Methodists. But the bulk of the preaching burden still rested on John Wesley's shoulders he was eventually forced to employ lay preachers who were not allowed to serve communion, but merely served to complete the ordained ministry of the Church of England. Following John Wesley's father's death in April of 1735, John Wesley was persuaded by an Oxford friend, John Burton, and Colonel James Auger, the governor of the new colony of Georgia in North America, after much consideration, John Wesley would indeed accept the invitation to serve as a pastor to British colonists in Savannah, Georgia. This oversees the spiritual opportunity to help minister to the lives of the colonists and the massive the amount of Native Americans as an agent for the society for the propagate of the gospel was beyond profound. Accompanied by his brother Charles, who was also ordained for the mission, both brothers would in turn be introduced to some Moravian immigrants who appeared to them to possess a spiritual peace, for which Wesley had been searching, John Wesley would soon learn go and learn about the Portuguese supplies of slave men to the Spaniards, who needed them to expand their territories in the New World America. He would that by 1508, first group of slaves had been shipped to Hispaniola and by around 1540, King Charles V of Spain, and determined to end such slave trade. John Wesley, being a very passionate about this discovery and desire to help the persecuted population, Wesley, his brother, Charles, and George Whitefield still set out to travel to Savannah, Georgia as missionaries. This experience was a shock to Wesley, which forced him to leave America for a new transformation experience that later took place at Albergate as early as 1771. Wesley was actively involved in redeeming slaves for God's kingdom and putting a stop to their mistreatment as less than human beings were. John Wesley's writing showed a deep desire as he had toward fighting against slavery and the slave trade. He hoped he could one day free the slaves from their masters, while John Wesley would not live long enough to see the slaves freed from their masters. That didn't stop Wesley from influencing European Christians missionaries during the 18th century who first came to Africa. Expressing reservations and negative attitudes towards a barbaric continent, Wesley saw Africa as a source of world transformation, a place that be respected and its people are given the opportunity to advance. Although the mission in Savannah, Georgia, did not go as planned. <clears throat> Did not go as planned to minister to the indigenous people approved abortive, nor did Wesley succeed with most of his flock. He served them faithfully, but his stiff, high churchmanship antologized him. Wesley, like most men in the world, still to this day and age, had a native naive attachment to a woman named Sophie Hopkins, which just happened to be the niece of the chief magistrate of Savannah, who married another man, and Wesley unwisely courted criticism by repelling her from Holy Communion. As every man, John Wesley was not Jesus Christ and was born a sinner just like you and I are born into sin. At the end of 1737, Wesley fled from Georgia's misunderstanding and persecution steaming from the hot, Sophie Hopkins episode which in return forced him to go back to England. John Wesley would later go on to state that as good a church as can be found, their doctrine is so pure and sound, one reason which I give for this is the devil hates the Methodists. And if Satan could have them all destroyed, the troops of hell would shout for joy. I'll pray that God would have them increase and fill the world with Methodists. And on May 24, 1738, he had an experience that changed everything. He described in the event in his journal, and Wesley wrote, In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in the Albergate Street, where one was reading Luther's prefix to the Apostle of Romans. About the quarter before nine, while he was describing the change in which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. From this point onward, Wesley, only age 35, viewed his mission in life as one proclaiming the good news of salvation by faith, which he did whenever a pulpit was offered to him. The congressional of the, the congregations of the Church of England soon closed their doors to him because of his enthusiasm. To avoid an ongoing scandal of unworthy members, Wesley would publish in 1743 the rules for the Methodist Society. The publication helped him promote the new society. He became widely traveled in initial preaching. Because a most ordained clergy did not approve of Wesley's approach, Wesley was compelled to seek the services of dedicated laymen. John Wesley would later become one of the highest in history, of uh, the highlights in history known as the First Great Awakening, has led the rise of the Methodist movement that would involve over 120,000 people in religious societies before his death. Towards the end of his life, Wesley became honored, an honored figure in the British Isles. John Wesley would go on to be notable works for writing 25 articles of religion. Wesley would be laid to rest back in England on March 2nd, 1791, at age 87 years of age. After Wesley's death in the late 18th century, throughout the 19th century, the Methodist movement was pure dominance in not only the British Empire, but also the New World of America. And during the 19th century, the New World that would become the United States, it would even seem that the prayer voiced in the early Methodist hymn was well on its way of becoming a reality. As I get ready to close this essay and this teaching on John Wesley, the man who founded the Methodist church, there is a story of another great evangelist that ties to Wesley in the 1940s, or so when a professor of England by the name of Professor Orr decided to take his group of theology students on a field trip. He took them to many religious sites around England. One place they visited was the Efferth Rectum, which was the home of Methodist founder John Wesley. John Wesley would pray and study that a great revival would break out in England and the New Americas. And after all his prayers and preaching, a great revival did indeed break out. So much so, it was talked about still to this very day. The great revivals are recorded in our history books around the world. And when Professor Orr, and his group of students reached the bedroom where John Wesley would pray every night before bed. One of the students couldn't help but notice the two warm patches of the carpet next to the bedside. And Professor Orr explained that this is where John Wesley would pray for hours on end each day. Wesley would plant his knees right beside his bed. Later that day, when the group got back on the bus, one of the students was missing. So Professor Orr went back inside the Wesley estate, only to find the student knelt in Wesley's knee prints on the side of the bed. Professor Orr walked around to the side of the bed to hear the student praying, Please God, lift. Great revival fall upon us once again, and let me bring that great revival to the people. And Professor Orr put his hand upon the student's shoulder and said, It is time to go. And Billy Graham raised from the bedside. And through Billy Graham, God let another revival pour out again. Now can you imagine kneeling on the floor next to the bed so long and so many times that the very carpet fibers are worn so much that years later, after you passed, another young man or woman comes and kneels in the very spot you prayed. And through his prayer for the second time in history, God would allow another great revival to pour out all over the world through your teachings from abraham to joseph to moses to jacob to king david to john the baptist to jesus christ the twelve disciples to mary magdalene to the apostle paul to saint patrick to martin luther to john calvin to john wesley to billy graham and until the history of the religious leaders have built the framework of Christ's church, but still to this day, we must go out from the church and make disciples of all nations. In conclusion, that is the kind of man that John Wesley was. He who prayed for a great revival, a great revival that a man and woman would be saved, Confess their very sins and accept the Holy Ghost into their very hearts. John Wesley was such a great disciple of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that he evangelized Reverend Billy Graham to get down on his knees in the same spot that John Wesley had gotten and prayed to Jesus Christ to allow him to bring another great revival over the world in the 1900s those very worn knee spots in the carpet fibers that very day were as if the transfer of the gospel from one great disciple to another great disciple of Christ amen